Told me I use my mouth good. So I started a podcast. Welcome to another episode of Iconosass. And you know what I'm going to be doing for this episode is wrapping up the Jordan B. Peterson series because, honestly, it's gotten a little tired, the book's a little old, and there are new seasons of Queer Eye Out, so it's really no longer relevant if all the points I'm making just redirect you to the queer eye episodes instead so i'm just going to be talking about that i just want to do a comprehensive episode where we go through all of the jordan b peterson chapters and their analogous queer eye episodes in just one whole fell swoop get it over with get it out of the way because there's there's other stuff i want to talk about there's other news things happening and you know you guys get the point so <laughs> I'm going to do I'm going to start off this episode with a quick recap of um the episodes I've done in the past um as far as Jordan B Peterson and his book The 12 Rules for Life and also the follow-ups to that that are in the Queer Eye universe which is our universe which is one that makes a lot more sense and it, it's it's been really difficult because honestly as I watch more of the series and it's obviously a very highly produced series and like I think it's still fucking great uh, because of the lessons it teaches you and the lessons that you can learn from it. If a fraction of the Jordan B. Peterson fanboys watched Queer Eye instead... I truly think their lives would be a whole lot better. And uh, how do we make that happen? I don't know. Again, I would just like them to not be reading this book with a lot of okay points 
that have been made better by better people, but also really shitty points that I think hold people back from their true potential. Which, recognizing the flexibility in that potential and recognizing, you know, the different paths you can take in this whole weird life journey that we all have to go through, well, it's all really important. It's really meaningful on a very subjective level, and that's really what we're living for, right? I mean, I'm not going to try to say things have some kind of larger objective meaning, like what is meaningful to you on an individual level, and what can you do to change your life, you know, from day to day? And maybe you can't do a lot, or maybe you can, or maybe you don't need the same kind of stodgy old academic guy to tell you to clean your room to have not just a better life but a much better life and that's what I think Queer Eye is actually offering here so I'm just going to do a quick recap of the chapters I've already covered and uh, then I'll dive right into the newer chapters and as I'm going back through this I realize that I did leave a chapter out because it was that forgettable and honestly any Queer Eye episode could have been substituted for it. The series is really amazing so uh, anyone who's not watching it who needs some life direction I think could really really benefit from it but to recap so let's go all the way back to rule number one, stand up straight with your shoulders back. The Queer Eye episode you want to watch instead is season one, episode six, The Renaissance of Remington. Chapter two, treat yourself like someone you were responsible for helping. Instead, you should watch season one of episode five called Camp Rules. Chapter three, make friends with people who want the best for you. Instead, watch Season 2, Episode 5 of Queer Eye, and it is titled Sky's the Limit. Chapter 4, compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not who someone else is today. And I guess that's the chapter I skipped. Literally, any Queer Eye episode will do. Chapter 5, do not let your children do anything that makes you dislike them. Instead, watch Season 2, Episode 7, which is titled Bedazzled. Chapter 6. Set your life in perfect order before you criticize the world. Instead, watch Season 1, Episode 8, Hose Before Bros. So, <laughs> I was saying chapters, I guess technically they're called rules, but I mean, I'm not a big fan of rules. So, moving on, let us go to rule number seven. Pursue what is meaningful, not what is expedient. Now, this chapter, I, again, it's one of those, the premise seems to be good, right? This is a sentiment that's expressed in popular culture quite a bit, I would say. I think it's pretty obvious. I mean, what is meaningful to you is a completely subjective thing. 
And if what is expedient to you is also meaningful to you, then I guess do it. As long as it's not hurting other people or ripping them off in some kind of way, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I, as I've said before, I have my own internal value system. I try not to hurt people with it. That's kind of a thing for me. So what is meaningful to people varies from person to person. It's very individualistic. But the episode of Queer Eye You Want to Watch It Said is in Season 2, Episode 8, called Make Ted Great Again. Watch that instead. It is better. I could go into the details why, but I've already gone into... I've already done like a deep dive into a lot of these chapters, and uh, at this point... Uh, maybe you should just trust me that I think I know what I'm talking about here. <laughs> I'm going to breeze through a couple of these because I like, seriously, seriously, this book is a fucking drag. I mean, I guess it's one thing if you're like listening to it, like when you're driving or something like that, or doing some other kind of activity, but like reading it, like critically reading it, dissecting it. <sighs> yeah, obviously you guys understand why I'm ending this series this way. <laughs> Moving on. Rule number eight, tell the truth, or at least don't lie. And you know what? What I make up for in missing a chapter, I'm going to double down on this rule because I have two Queer Eye episodes for you. That's right. You want to watch season one of episode four, Too Gay or Not to Gay, or season one, episode six, Big Little Lies. Both deal with honesty, lies, when you can tell the truth, when it's maybe not safe to tell the truth. Again, this is a pretty nuanced topic that I don't think Jordan B. Peterson really fleshes out in this chapter very well at all. He draws a lot from personal experience, which uh, his personal experience is one where you have the privilege of getting to be truthy about the things you've experienced. And you know what? It's a bit of a privilege that not everyone else gets. And I'll leave it at that. Rule number nine, assume that the person you are listening to might know something you don't. I actually liked this chapter quite a bit. It would be nice if he listened to his own advice, but uh, I mean, who does that, really? <laughs> so, yes, the person you were listening to might know something you don't. I would love to see him apply this rule more to his own personal life, but, you know... It's much easier to just kind of like tell people how they should live instead of applying any of your own principles. It's actually very difficult to be entirely consistent. And see, I understand that. I'm not trying to hold people to those crazy standards and levels of consistency. I understand that people are inconsistent. They're going to sometimes act in opposition to what they say and what they profess they believe. It's something you should probably get used to if you're an adult. But a good Queer Eye episode to watch instead is Season 3, Episode 1, From Huntress to Huntee. And 
that's a really interesting episode of a straight woman who is married, who likes hunting and dressing in camouflage, and has really struggled um, with meeting other women and, and, you know, having those deep friendships. But she's also, she also lives in a very different world. So season three just came out, which is obviously fantastic and you all should watch it and it's mostly taking place in kansas city missouri which is uh you know uh, again like middle america you know working class people and the subject of this episode is very working class she shoots guns she hunts she kills her own food and skins it and eats it she's a badass bitch and uh, it is very much of a culture shock, I think, for these guys to, you know, go into this part of the country and interact with her and learn from her and she learns from them. And it is a beautiful episode. And yeah, people know things you don't. You know, you, you can't let your prejudices get in the way of that. So, you know, if you see a loud-mouthed, you know, pierced, tattooed person, and you're not that person, and um, you want to argue with them, maybe they have something they can teach you, or vice versa. Surely I can learn a lot from, I guess, people in suits. Sure. You know, I, I and I do try to, the, again, the premise, the chapter notwithstanding, the premise is great. Yes. People know things different than you, especially if they're in different class levels, especially if they're in different racial categories or gender categories or sexual categories or whatever. All these weird categories that we like to sort ourselves into and claim identities from and all that. And I'm not saying you should or you shouldn't. I'm saying it's a thing that happens that exists in reality. And if someone has a vastly different experience from you, then yeah, you should probably listen to what they have to say. Pretty straightforward. Uh, now, the rest of that chapter is not as straightforward, but I'm not going to dive into it because, again, I really want this to be more of a positive podcast where I'm praising the uh, wonderful episodes of Queer Eye and how much they can help people uh, much better than this kind of subpar book. Um Rule number 10, be precise in your speech. Now this one, ooh, ooh, I'm all about it. I'm all about the premise of it, yes. And it's very hard to do, by the way. I think generally people are brought up in a, in a culture, in the United States at least, of politeness, of, you know, protecting people's feelings. And I think that's probably an okay thing right you know for for the most part but i think it sometimes leads to some ambiguity and sometimes confusions and and a lot of misunderstandings and so being precise in your speech of course makes sense it it means to try to be as exacting with your words as possible trying to get trying to communicate as clear, clearly as possible but we're not all writers, we're not all communicators, we're not all entertainers or people who can clearly communicate. It's sometimes very difficult. Very, very difficult. And sometimes we communicate things in ways that are 
unintentional or not quite what we meant because we don't have a great vocabulary for it or we are trying to protect the feelings of someone or we're trying to be straightforward in a way that shakes them in some kind of uh, graphic kind of way and wakes them up. And that's not necessarily precise either. So this is uh, an extremely nuanced, difficult point to make. But um, there is an episode of Queer Eye that you should watch instead, and it's actually my least favorite episode. Well, at least so far. There's another one that's close to it, but this one is uh, possibly my least favorite episode so far, and that is Season 1, Episode 7, Below Average Joe. And uh, honestly, this is like one of the worst episodes of Queer Eye you should watch, but you should watch it because it is important for the point of being precise in your speech. You know, if if this is a point that you really want to uphold and you really want to work through, you should watch this episode for how to not do something. This is about a guy who lives with his parents and he's living in a spare bedroom. And they actually end up remaking the basement for him to live in, which I don't think is much better. Now, economic circumstances notwithstanding, like that's that's a whole other discussion, class levels, and it's difficult for millennials and, and all of that. Um, I, I don't think the problem in this episode are necessarily the economic conditions that this person faces, but rather their attitude. And the Queer Eye guys do their best, and they are heroic as they can be, but they don't have a lot to work with with this guy. He uh, lives in his parents' basement. They ask him what he likes to do. He doesn't have have very great answers, and he kind of half-assedly says that he's into stand-up comedy, and they end up putting him through this whole thing where they're trying to... I mean, they try. Oh, God, they try. They get him headshots. They set him up with a website. Some brilliant staff writer on the show wrote a whole stand-up routine for him, and they booked a stand-up show for him, and it was okay. Which, stand-up is hard. I've done it. It's very fucking hard. So kudos for anyone who gets up on that stage. But you can also read the follow-ups to this episode. This guy, he's, he kind of half-assed said he was into this thing, and he was really, really super into it. So the Queer Eye guys, especially Karama, went like way off the deep end trying to get him super into doing stand-up and he just didn't have the uh constitution for it and part of that comes down to a lack of precision in his speech and that's okay because we're all imprecise in our speech so everyone should watch that episode just to say just to know how not to humiliate yourself on tv because you have a half-assed commitment to something Straight up. So, next, rule 11 do not bother children when they are skateboarding. Now, this chapter, ooh, this one's really interesting because um, he uses a lot of quotes. I mean, a lot of it is like 
you know, the beginning is kind of like, kind of seems like Jordan B. Peterson's limited experience with interacting with non-white kids as a youth and uh, some of the other experiences his friends had. This guy is so sheltered. I mean, again, honestly, like if if we want to talk about intersections, if we want to talk about class differences and things like that again we have people on queer eye who are much better representative of different class systems than jordan b peterson he clearly grew up in a very middle class existence which there's nothing wrong with that they can't help it but he's had a different experience than a lot of other people so his experience is somewhat limited and he's only drawing from that and you know i i can see why it's broadly relatable to people who did not grow up working class uh or other classes but uh he you know he uses some quotes here i really i i kind of want to i i am going to get in a little more into this chapter because i i think it's really important to flesh out a little more he takes this quote he says when someone claims to be acting from the highest principles for the good of others there's no reason to assume that the person's motives are genuine people motivated to make things better usually aren't concerned with changing other people or if they are they take responsibility for making the same changes to themselves and first and what this quote is is actually a critique of leftism and kind of left-wing uh, activists and activism and stuff like that. And I agree with the first sentence. Like, you, you should be skeptical of people saying they're doing things for the greater good or for the benefit of humanity and, and all of that stuff. I mean... I've definitely been burned with that kind of language. I know probably a lot of you guys have. Uh, it is a good cover for some straight-up wickedness. But that also applies to you. That also applies to the right wing and conservative principles that people so-called espouse. And the 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 difference is, and he's talking about people who aren't concerned with changing other people. This is this is a flaw of conservatism: is you think that you can change other people and you can force other people to have the same limited experience that you have, which is generally a privileged one, uh, especially again if you live in the United States. But if you are a conservative person. Yeah, a lot of these people tend to be extremely privileged, and if they're not privileged on a class level, they're privileged in kind of other ways, whether with skin color or anything like that. The thing is, you can't change people. You have to let them be. You ha If you want to love someone, for example, and you, and you truly love someone, you have to love them for who they are, not who you want them to be. A lot of people fall in love with the potential they see in someone or what they hope someone could be or this future version of someone that if if they just tweak themselves or their personality in this way or that, they would be just perfect. But that's not unconditional love. And 
if you and that's the difference when things get difficult how do you react to it and i do believe it's a conservative reaction to try to clamp down control on everything around yourself and try to force it into a system or force it into something that you think is familiar and this is a problem because it doesn't work, first of all, if we can just look at it from a kind of uh, consequentialist stance of like, it, it just doesn't work. You can't change people. People have to change themselves. People have to want to change. You know, it's the whole thing of you have to recognize there's a problem before you can fix the problem. And even if you can imagine how much better someone else could be, that they could be the best potential of themselves or the best person they could be if they just made these tweaks, then you're not really seeing them for who they are. You're seeing them as a project. You're seeing them as someone you can fix and you can tweak. And we're not all people who fit into certain molds. And even if you love someone so much, love is not enough to change them. Or who they are as a person. He quotes again, I'm, I'm going to go on in the chapter a little bit more. He takes a quote from uh, Jung. He goes, I believe it was Jung who developed the most surgically wicked of psychoanalytic dicta. If you cannot understand why someone did something, look at the consequences and infer the motivation. This is a psychological scalpel. It's not always a suitable instrument. It can cut too deeply or in the wrong places. It is, perhaps, a last resort option. Yeah, he somewhat agrees. He believes that if people profess that they have principles of altruism and for the good of others and all of this, then that they are inherently like shitty people. If you, if you kind of look at the broader premise of this chapter and the broader points he's kind of making, they're somewhat kind of, you know, objectivist-y, Ayn Randian kind of things. Again, it's not anything that new or even really that interesting, you should, yeah, you should be skeptical of motives, of course, and you should look at the consequences of actions, but I don't think that everyone fully understands the motivations for their actions, and this is the big, and this is why, this is why it's a kind of surgically wicked, the way he describes it, quote, is because People often don't know their own motivations for things. People are not necessarily as introspective as a psychologist or therapist or even arguably someone like Jordan Peterson who wrote a whole book on this. You know, people, sometimes they do things out of trauma sometimes they do things because they just feel good maybe there's not even a deeper underlying reason to it and reading too much into an underlying reason is just going to baffle you and drive you fucking bonkers you know you don't always know maybe there are reasons given for people doing certain things 
if you're intuitive enough, you can infer so certain motivations, but it's it's honestly a crapshoot. People don't know why they act sometimes. They're very unconscious of why they do certain things. And are their motivations always cynical or are they always bad or evil or or if they profess a certain thing and they do something different, does that make them a bad person? Not necessarily. It's not as cut and dry as that. And the episode you should watch instead is my new favorite episode. <laughs> I know I've said I've had a lot of favorite episodes of Queer Eye, but this one is so fucking great. And people should watch it regardless of whether or not they're into the series or whatever else. Season 3, Episode 5, Black Girl Magic. Now, this episode was just incredible. It's about a young, you know, she's she's a 23-year-old lesbian who's kicked out of her house when she came out of the closet uh, by her adopted parents um, when she was 15 years old. And she's been on her own ever since. And she's struggled. She's trying to work, you know, work full time and make her way through school and she feels like she doesn't have a real family and she has to find a chosen family and and this is interesting because going back to jordan peterson's point don't bother children when they were skateboarding um he's trying to kind of make a point about rebellion and about like going out on a ledge and doing things on your own while trying to fit it into certain cultural norms that are extremely opposed to that kind of behavior. And this is another example of him wanting to have it both ways. And the thing is, you can't in certain situations. She couldn't be who she was and live in the family that she was in because of how they wanted her to be. They didn't love her unconditionally. They didn't accept her and love her for who she was, and it was something that she couldn't change. Instead, they kicked a 15-year-old child out on the street because they couldn't fathom that someone was different than them. And this episode is powerful. This episode had me just crying throughout because I know that feeling. And it's something I have been processing really all of my life. Like, what do you do when the people who say that they love you unconditionally actually don't? When you find out that there are conditions to their love... And those conditions are something that you can never, ever meet. Because who you are, even if it's not hurting anyone else, is so abhorrent and appalling to them. For reasons they don't understand and won't even try to work through. It's terrible and it's tragic. And there's so many people out there, especially queer people, 
who are kicked out and Bobby shares his story in this too and he has throughout the series and Bobby is just one of my favorite favorite people on Queer Eye because I mean not only does he literally do the heavy lifting of redesigning homes and firehouses and all sorts of living spaces but he does a lot of emotional labor too and it's why I I fucking love him so much and you know it, it it's just amazing you look at the way he transforms people's lives through their living spaces and you just know i mean when you haven't had stable housing for a long time and when you haven't had a place that you can really call home you really are able to make that home in a lot of places that you go to even if you don't have those resources you really understand the value of home and making a safe space for people when you haven't had that safe space yourself. And this episode encapsulates that in such a beautiful way that is much more beautiful than anything that Jordan B. Peterson, this fucking guy, can ever write Maybe even possibly imagine. I don't want to be that much of a cynic, but dude doesn't seem to have much of an imagination about things. He seems to have a very binary way of thinking about how the world should be and what we should do to make it better. And I am suspect of his motives. Let's get on to the last rule, which is rule number 12, Pet a cat when you encounter one on the street. And I see what he's doing with these last chapters, these last rules. He's trying to be a little playful. He's trying to be a little, you know, lighthearted. And I get it that you need a little bit of levity, you know, when we're talking about death and suffering and everything that life is. I'm a huge proponent of that. (laughs) This episode... So he starts out, and and he does the whole kind of like, ooh, I'm going to do like a counterintuitive approach to this episode by talking about how I'm a dog person. All right, let's talk about some binaries for a second. And you guys know I did a whole thing on being against binaries and spectrums, but I got my own biases. I got my own bullshit, you know, and uh, I have a working theory about cat people and dog people. I'm not saying everyone fits into two categories, but I am saying it might be a phenomenon that exists. And if you're a dog person, maybe you shouldn't be talking about cat people. And he thinks it's funny. He goes into like this whole, I'm a dog person and I love dogs. Okay, what I mean by dog person, what I mean by cat person are not what maybe people think I mean. So, obviously, there are people who prefer to have dogs as pets, and there are people who prefer to have cats as pets, and there are people who don't want any kind of pets. I'm one of those people. I'm a cat person in that I don't like any animals. Not that I don't like animals like they should exist, but I'm not a pet person. I, uh, I don't have the required resources to compassionately care for another living animal at this point and i've accepted that and i'm not going to try to force something that doesn't work 
and there are a bunch of other people. There are lizard people, and there are uh, snake people, and there are bird people, and there are, you know, all types of different people. But my broader concept, which is not scientifically backed in any kind of way, is that dog people and cat people are very different people, not because of the pets they prefer. It doesn't really have much to do with pet preference as much as it has to do with personality. Dog people require more affirmation and they require more feedback and constant reassurance that they are a good boy, you're a good boy, you're the best, you're the best boy or girl. And that's fine because we all need a little more reassurance, right? Nothing wrong with it. This is not a judgment. This is just an observation. Just take it as an observation. Dog people are people who you know, maybe are a little more anxious, they require a little more reassurance that they're doing the right thing. And that's fine. No problem. Um, unless it becomes a problem, but whatever. And then there are cat people who are so okay with not needing help and not needing reassurance. So they're, they kind of are their own island in some ways. They kind of don't need anyone else. They don't care about anyone else. You know, they they do their own thing, they follow their own rules, and they could give a fuck what everyone else thinks. And again, this is not a judgment. This is an observation. You know, and there are features and flaws to these kinds of things. And again, I'm not saying it's a binary thing. I'm just saying these are two things. If you're talking about petting cats on the streets as a dog person, you don't understand how cats work. And that's my point with this chapter, is you wouldn't pet a cat on the street most of the time, because a cat on the street isn't something that needs to be petted by you. They're fine without you. They've figured out a way to survive. And if you're a dog person who thinks that that feral cat on the street needs reassurance and needs constant, you know you know, touching and and affirmations and stuff, you're not going to really understand that cat's needs. Again, not a judgment, just more of his complete an understanding of Jordan B. Peterson's lack of understanding with regards to this minor topic. I understand the broader philosophical point he's trying to make. I'm making a more niche point of my own. Maybe don't talk about petting cats if you're a dog person. We're done. <laughs> We're actually not done. I didn't give you the Queer Eye episode. You should watch instead, which is Elrod and Sons, which is season three, episode six. And this focuses on a single father who has put his life on hold when his wife passed away from cancer a couple years before and he's trying to fulfill her wish of moving into a new home and moving on with his life and building a better life for their children that he had and it's a beautiful beautiful episode that also really encapsulates kind of these broader philosophical points that I think Jordan Peterson really ham-fistedly tries to make which are 
that, yeah, sometimes you're going to get to a point of grief in your life where it's very difficult to move on, where it's very difficult to keep going. And sometimes you have to, when you get a moment alone, as this guy had to do because he's raising two children, which is extremely time consuming and very difficult. You know, sometimes you just got to go on your back porch when you're alone and just cry sometime over what you've lost or whatever that means to you, whatever it is that you feel you've lost or lost out on, because we've all lost out on things. But you also have to find whatever way you can to keep on going, whatever that means to you. I don't know what these standards are. I'm not trying to say there's objective standards like, you know, having a clean room or good posture or things like that. Those are all seemingly good things that would be nice to add in addition to our existences, but sometimes those little details get lost in the giant bog of just trying to make it through the day. And... This episode was beautiful because of that. And it was difficult. All of these episodes, all of these episodes are difficult to watch. They're heart-wrenching. They're sad. They're going to make you cry. But they all teach these really meaningful life lessons of having to persevere through tragedy and loss. And things that don't make any sense. For example, Jordan Peterson does reference a lot of philosophers and other people who talk about the chaos of life. And the thing is, whether or not you choose to embrace chaos, maybe you're just trying to avoid it or deny it or not deal with it or whatever kind of way you have to cope with chaos, ultimately has to be individual to you. There's not an antidote to it. And people want it so bad, and that's understandable. That's why Jordan B. Peterson's book was a bestseller. But we have to realize there's no perfect way to deal with chaos. Sometimes it's a matter of grieving for however long it takes over whatever loss you had, because losses impact people in different ways. But whatever it is, you take the time you need to, to grieve over it. And you find little ways you can move on. And over time, it gets just a little bit better. And you just, you have to put away, you have to let go of old thoughts about, you know, what is right, what is wrong. You have to let go of these kinds of judgments on yourself and all of these things that kind of hold you back from moving forward. And that's not to say, you know, you should be up and at them and ready to be a productive member of society, you know, a month after your spouse's death. But you find ways to cope and you find ways to let go of certain memories and you let go and that's what a lot of this episode is about is he's moving into a new house with his family and he's having this safe 
goodbye to his old house and all of those memories it holds. And I've had to do that quite a bit with my life. I, I, you know, I had to let go of a lot of physical things in my life that held sentimental meaning to me. And I had to let go of a lot of ideas that held certain meaning for me. I had to let go of so many things to get to the point where I'm at. And I'm not saying it's perfect. I'm not saying I'm totally healed and I'm fixed and I'm better now. But being able to sit with that grief that you can have over such a monumental loss and reflect on it and then look at objects, physical objects especially, that were attached to those times in your lives where you were where you lived an entirely different existence and then letting go of them is so liberating and it's so painful but it's so worth it and that's really what this episode is about but it's also what the whole all all of the seasons are really about and what even I think the broader point Jordan Peterson is trying to even make with this book. Now, again, I don't think he makes it as clearly as he could. There are not necessarily bad premises in all of these chapters, but he pads them with a lot of things that just, I think, derail what would otherwise be fairly normal self-help advice. Now, if you want really good self-help advice, and I'm so serious about this, I started out as a kind of, oh, surely there's a Queer Eye episode for everything, because they're saying the same things, and it is broadly about self-help, and generally self-help says about the same kinds of things. You know, it started off as kind of like more lighthearted, but I'm very fucking serious when I say this series is saving people's lives. And if a fraction of the people who think that what Jordan B. Peterson says has value to their lives watched this series instead, they could put their own um, personal growth so far ahead and so far beyond and stretch their minds so much more than what Jordan B. Peterson provides for them. It's a, it's a matter of imagination. It's a matter of scale. And it's a matter of recognizing where there are good premises and expanding them as far as you can possibly go. And also, these are practical things. I mean, the, the Queer Eye guys really do... I mean, it's not all idealistic bullshit. It's They bring you down to earth. Like, these are real-life things that you can do. Minor changes you can make in your life to significantly help your self-esteem. And I say that as a person with very fluctuating self-esteem. I mean, I don't think of myself as some kind of fucking master of self-esteem. <laughs> you know, I definitely have days where I'm not my best. You know, I have days where I I think I'm just, you know, like a shiftless piece of shit and I don't know what I'm fucking doing and why is anyone listening to any of this and, you know, all of that self-doubt that kind of creeps in. And we all have days like that. 
And sometimes it's okay to sit with that too. I think there are ways to route around this kind of bullshit, hyper-optimistic system that we sometimes find ourselves in. I think there are ways to be happy and live a fulfilling life with our chosen families um, that don't fit into such neat paradigms and such neat binaries as Jordan B. Peterson wants to make it. Life is chaos. And that's okay. And that's what we get. And what we do with that chaos is where we can kind of find our humanity. And that's how I'm going to conclude this series. I am, I've been done with the book for a while. It's been a struggle to do a lot of these these episodes to the point where I'm just going to say literally any episode of Queer Eye at this point could stand in for the entire book of the 12 Rules to Life and Antidote to Chaos. Because wouldn't it be nice if we had an antidote to chaos? I don't disagree that it would be so nice. But that's a privilege to live in that world, to think that we have an answer to everything and that we have a solution to everything. When instead, we could just find ways, small ways, to make ourselves happier every day. And maybe that means readjusting our focus on our chosen family, the people we have in our lives, the people who want us in our lives, um, how we feel about ourselves, how, how we're grooming ourselves, what is our aesthetic, you know, working on an individual aesthetic that works for you, I think is really, really empowering. What about what what do our living situations look like? How can we make those resemble home a little bit more? Or, you know, I've been nomadic for parts of my life, and so it's hard to find, you know, a consistent kind of home, but I do feel like I've finally, you know, sunk into a place where I can kind of maybe start filling that out a little bit more. Or when I'm anywhere, like I can, I have had to find ways to make it feel like home. Because for me, at least, home is the people I'm with. And I'm lucky to know such awesome people that I can get that feeling with almost anywhere, really. But some people need more location stability you know how how can you carve out your own special place wherever you are how can you find ways to be creative and even the food that you're eating or uh you know finding a more deeper connection to maybe your uh, cultural roots or things like that. I mean, Queer Eye is such a more thorough way to do self-help than so many other things out there. And yeah, it is, it is highly produced. And yeah, I'm sure, so, yes, some of it's 
obviously made by producers and stuff like that and, and you know whatever um but like these guys are really out there changing lives and there's so much that heterosexual culture has to learn from queer culture and i mean the main thing is that there isn't an overarching queer culture it's not like <laughs> it's not like all of us watch queer eye even you know <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm sure there are there there are problematic parts of it. I'm I'm sure you know, like there are people who are critiquing it on different levels and in different intersections and things like that. Uh, I do believe the people involved in the show are trying their hardest, though, to make something that is actually valuable to people and actually practically helpful to people, because you can't live by certain strict principles all the time, you know. You can't always tell the exact truth all the time, even though I hold that to be one of my highest values. I'd much rather someone be straightforward with me than bullshit me. It's not always safe if you're a queer person. You know, I kind of went into, I alluded to that earlier in some of the, in the chapter about, you know, always tell the truth or at least don't lie. It's not safe to tell the truth. The consequences for telling the truth as a queer person are homelessness, death, torture, or isolation in other ways. We're not over that. People think that these things happened so long ago, and they haven't. The woman in the Black Girl Magic episode, Jess, I mean, she was only 23 years old. She'd been kicked out when she was 15. This is recent history, and it happens every single day to people in this country, specifically to queer people, whether they're, you know, gender queer or gender nonconforming in some way or sexual queers or whatever it is. Like, there are vast swaths of this country who are not okay with our mere existence. And yet, these communities and the, the content that we're creating and the, the uh, interactions we're having and the relationships we're building with each other are so much more supportive and so vastly different from what you find in more heteronormative spaces. It's so revolutionary to see the ways that humans could be treating each other. And... Queer people have always been pioneers in that area, which is why it's even more important for cishet people to understand this and to really, maybe if they can't internalize it or whatever, but to at least, you know, see that the person they're talking to maybe has something valuable to say to them, as Jordan Peterson recommends. And yeah, I want to sum it up on that note. Um, the, the newest season of Queer Eye is out, and it's so good. And honestly, it really makes Jordan B. Peterson's book irrelevant. The book's been out for a while anyway, and I'm kind of a bit late on my commentary with everything um, due to other things. But yeah, I wanted to put it out there for everyone so they know... So they have a reference guide, and but honestly, again, 
any episode just about that you watch is going to be beneficial for you, whether or not you're queer, by the way. It's just, it's It was originally, the, the original series was called Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, but they're obviously doing more episodes for queer women and straight women and, uh, you know, different types of men, gay men, straight men, people who just need help because everyone can use a self-esteem boost. And, and I mean, maybe some people, you know, <laughs> maybe some people don't need as much self-esteem about their ideas, <laughs> but I do think, generally speaking, that self-esteem is a struggle that most people face, and if we could see ourselves the way other people see us, maybe... That's the start of a really awesome life. So I'm going to end it on, on that note. And thanks so much for listening throughout this whole series. I know it's been a little over a year since I started it. I totally should have been done by now. But thanks for bearing with me. And now you have the definitive collection of all of the Queer Eye episodes for all of the jordan b peterson rules in the 12 rules for life and antidote to chaos which is no antidote to chaos because there isn't one and i will see you on the next podcast scientists fucking bonkers.